I ought to turn on the microphone. That's how things tend to work. It helps, right? Like, yeah. You don't have to, but it helps, right? Um, all right. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, looking at verses 17 through 20 today. Um, one of the reasons why Chris and I preach through the way we preach through things, large swaths of, of Scripture at a time and taking small chunks of it and looking at it, or whole books of the Bible at a time, is because context matters, right? Um, and that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the context within what Jesus is doing. It's hard to believe, like, we think about the Sermon on the Mount. Like, here it is. It's, it's, it's the largest recorded sermon that Jesus ever preached as far as we have. Um, it's chapters 5, 6, and 7 of, of the book of Matthew. And it's all of this stuff within context. Context, context, context. It's, it's what matters as we're looking at it. And so that's why Chris and I develop the messages the way we develop. It's how we, we come up with our, our, our plan and our strategy is for preaching is, is looking at Scripture within context. And so we want to look at it that way today. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. If you don't have it with you, that's fine. It'll be on the screen. You can take a look at it there as well as I read from it. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Do not think, this is Jesus speaking, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. For whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we thank you for the day that you've given to us to, to join together in corporate worship, to join together in, in singing your praises, and now to, to worship you through the hearing and the response of your word. I pray, Lord, that as we enter into this time, uh, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge us, you would convict us, you would draw us closer to you through your word. Father, I pray that as, as we look at what Jesus himself believed about Scripture and about the Bible, that you would convict us to believe about the Bible the way Jesus believes about the Bible. You would move in our lives to do just that. Father, there's a lot of things on, our, on a lot of our hearts right now. I pray that as we, we lift those up to you and in quiet prayer, prayer or, or whatever, that, that those things just be heard by you. We know they are. But we ask, Lord, that you would just give us a a comfort and a knowing that you're hearing them. Father, as, as the church is looking to have some changes, we pray that you would just be with us, allow us to bless you, to allow us to glorify you through that. And Father, I pray that as we, we dive into this today, that you'd put me aside and that it be you. Father, again, I ask that you would just speak to us through your word, challenge us, convict us, Move in us so that we may go out from here and share your word with others. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we're Baptists, and one of the things that Baptists often say is that we are people of the book, right? We are people of the Word of God. That's kind of a, a phrase that's often used. We, we make claims about the inerrancy of Scripture, about the infallibility of Scripture, about the authority of Scripture. And we often like to quote, and I love that Leah put it up in, in the slides today for us, 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. One of the things that that's, we think about is, is we're thinking about scriptures, what our own faith state, statement of faith says. Our own Baptist faith and message says this about the scriptures, that the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us, and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union, and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All Scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is himself the focus of divine revelation. We make these statements about Scripture. But what does it mean when we make these statements? Where do we get these ideas of the, the inerrancy, the, the no error found in it, the infallibility, meaning that it's, there's no fault in it, and the authority the, of Scripture? Where do we get these ideas? Well, what it means is that we, as people, are trying to look at Scripture the same way that Jesus looks at Scripture. We want to understand how Jesus, the living word, understands and interprets the Bible, the recorded word. And our understanding of, of the Sermon on the Mount, is, as we continue to look through the Sermon on the Mount and moving forward from our understanding of how Jesus preaches a sermon, as well as all of the other teachings of Jesus, and as well as everything about Jesus' ministry, is going to be about what he says about Scripture which he does here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. One commentator said that unreserved commitment to Jesus requires us to look at the Bible through his eyes. And what's beautiful is this passage, 17 through 20, gives us an opportunity to look at Scripture through Jesus' eyes. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. But to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus is preaching here in the Sermon on the Mount, he's preaching a sermon about the kingdom of God. And as we look at these verses, 17 through 20, serve as kind of an, an introduction to the next little section of his sermon. He's, he's preached the Beatitudes, he's preached about salt and light, and now he's kind of introducing what's coming next. And what's coming next are what we call the, the six antitheses, these ant antithetical statements. You have heard it said, but I say to you, kind of statements are getting ready to come next.
And there are these, these ideas about how, how people were interpreting Old Testament law and Old Testament teachings. And he's going to open, like I said, each one of them was saying, you have heard it said, but... And he's going to break down and go deeper into the Old Testament as he's getting ready to do that. But in doing so, he's also teaching us how to live out and, and, and love like the Beatitudes calls to be, how to, how to be salt and light in this dark and decaying world. But he has to have a foundation for that. And he sets up his foundation in verses 17 through 20 about what he believes about Scripture itself. And the first thing he says is that he believes that all Scripture points to him. He doesn't say it exactly like, the Scripture's about me. No, that's not. But he says, I did not come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He, he, he has this high view of Scripture. Right? When he refers to the law and the prophets, he's referring to the Old Testament. I have a high view of the Old Testament. The law are the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah. Right? And the prophets is a kind of a general way to describe the rest of the Old Testament. There were the, the prophetic writings, the histories, uh, the, the wisdom writings. But a lot of times you hear them referred to as the law and the prophets and the writings, right? There, there were those three. But sometimes the prophets and the writings got short to just the prophets because the people of Jesus' time accredited the writing of all those wisdom literatures, all of that history, as being written by prophets, that God gave prophets to them. So that would be part of all of that. And he does not come to abolish it. He comes to fulfill it. So, so by not abolishing the law and the prophets, Jesus affirms the Old Testament. This is real. This is stuff he believes. And what he affirms about the Old Testament, he's going to promise to us in the New Testament. Jesus is teaching in John, and, and he says, I still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all that truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you these things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus is, is saying all of the things that you've seen predicted in the Old Testament are coming. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to give you those things. You're going to see them through him, but it's not just him. It's not him. God the Father gives it to me. I give it to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives it to you. And it's important for us to see this, that, that while many of the things that Jesus said in the New, in the New Testament as he's teaching were, were kind of new and, and felt shocking and, holy cow, where did this come from? Right? It was new to the people. They were not a break from the Old Testament. Right? Jesus isn't throwing the baby out with the bathwater. In this discussion, he says he's not going to destroy the law, but he's going to fulfill the law. See, see the antithesis or the opposite here of destroy is not to necessarily keep, right? it's to, to fulfill. He's not looking to just get rid of it. No, it's, it's, it's staying. And now we have to look at fulfilling. Scripture finds all of its fulfillment, its intended goal, everything about Scripture, the purpose of Scripture, all of that is found in, in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. He's the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Jesus is the one whom all Scripture points. 
Not only does, does Jesus emphatically deny his destruction on the law, he says it twice. Do not think that I have come to abolish it. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He says it twice to make sure that they understand. I'm not here to tear down what you know to be true about God from the Old Testament. He doesn't just emphatically deny his destruction. He gives us positive purpose for his coming. Jesus came to fulfill the scriptures. Jesus, the son of the living God, came to complete the work that had been promised. And the thing is, is, is how it's promised in the Old Testament is in these little drips and drabs here and there. A prophet got one vision here. Another prophet got another vision here. Another prophet got a, an idea here. Isaiah was given a whole big vision here, Right? It's in drips and drabs, and it's scattered throughout the Old Testament, starting early. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the, the head of the serpent being crushed by the heel, right? And we, we see this, this early establishment of Jesus' reign even then. Jesus never wanted to set any of this scripture aside. It was beautiful to him as it's beautiful to us, probably more so. It was his, his mission to fulfill the scripture and to bring all of those promises to fruition. John 5, 39 says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and that they bear witness about me. He's, he's in a rebuke here of the Pharisees. You think it's just the scripture that does it. No, there's more to it. There was a promise made to you in this Old Testament scripture about a Messiah and you have forgotten to be looking for him. Don't forget. In Luke 24, 25 and 27, he says to them, oh, foolish ones. I didn't even know he knew my name so well, right? Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus took the apostles, the 12 that were gathered, and some of the others that were there close in this moment, and he gathered them together and he said, oh, guys, you're just not getting it yet. Sit down, let me explain. And he takes them from Moses. When they say, when he takes them through Moses, he means he's starting at the beginning. Right? We attribute all of the first five books of the Scripture being written by Moses. That Genesis was written by Moses as God had given it to him as, as a prophet and a messenger from God. And he writes it all down. And Jesus goes from there and explains all of the Messianic prophecies beginning in Genesis throughout all the Scripture. And he does this. And later on in that same chapter of Luke, verses 44 and 45, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. It took Jesus the working in their lives to go boop and to click on that little bulb and to make it pop and snap in their head. It takes the Holy Spirit in our lives to do the same. But yet we see Christ throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus himself is saying, I'm there. Look for me. See that I'm here. 
right? There are some out there that say that, that as New Testament believers in the New Testament church that we should unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. They're wrong. They are wrong. Jesus himself did not unhitch from the Old Testament. He's clearly hitched well to the Old Testament here. If we believe in Jesus, we will believe in the scriptures that point to him, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus believed that all scripture pointed to him, and we should believe that as well. If we want to see scripture in the light, in the eyes of Jesus, this is how we look at it. He keeps going on. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth have passed away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Jesus believed the scriptures were perfectly perfect. That's a fun way of saying it. That the scriptures are perfectly perfect. Right? In, in Jesus' view, as he's looking at the scriptures, as he's telling us what he says, feels about the scriptures, what he believes and what he knows to be true of the scriptures, in his view of the scriptures, they're perfect in every detail. He starts off with, with some authority and saying, truly, 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 sometimes you might see it in, in the old King James. It might say, truly, truly, or most assuredly. This is that, listen up. I know something y'all don't. Pay attention, heed it, heed it close. Get those ears on. He's wanting us to really focus here. There's a note of authority here. And his note of authority, as he's speaking, this is not the kind of authority that comes from the scribes. It's not the kind of authority that comes from the Pharisees. It's not that kind of authority. This is a much more divine authority that Jesus is bringing. And it's a call to listen very closely and to heed the importance of what's being said next. And he says, until the earth pass away, until heaven and earth pass away. This is, this is an interesting phrase for him to use because much of the teachings that Jesus has in the, in the book of Matthew are about the kingdom of God. And this phrase, until the heavens and earth pass away, occurs some 31 times in Matthew's gospel. And it means until the end of the age or, or as long as this present world order persists. Jesus is letting his disciples know, and by letting his disciples know, letting us know as well, that the authority of the Old Testament scripture lasts for all time. And he continues on talking about not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law. Uh, in the Christian Standard Bible, they, they translate iota and dot to the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter. Jesus is literally talking about jots and tittles, right? The iota, that's a Greek alphabet letter, right? It's the equivalent to the Hebrew letter yod, all right? We're going to get into some weird stuff here. Yod is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and it's written with one single stroke. It's the equivalent, like if we were writing in the English alphabet, like our lowercase i, that would be a jot. A tittle's the dot above it. The, I maybe got them backwards, but, but that's the idea. They're the small little details in that, right? The dots that Jesus is referring to when he talks about these dots, like that, that idea that this yod, the single stroke, that's where we get the idea, and that's where our English word jot comes from. Dots that Jesus refers to are the letter markings that distinguish different letters. I want you to think about the small differences between an uppercase letter O in the English alphabet and an uppercase letter Q. 
It's just that little itty-bitty line. An uppercase letter C and an uppercase letter G. It's that little itty-bitty mark that makes them different as we print out our alphabet. Jesus is affirming here, I mean, he's talking about these jots and tittles, these, these iotas and dots. He's talking about how all of God's word is true and how none of it will pass away until all of it is fulfilled. It is there, every bit of it. Luke, in, in his recording of, of Jesus, says it this way, and I love this in Luke. He says, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter in the law to drop out. Jesus is affirming the reliability and the truthfulness in Scripture here. He's also affirming God's sovereign preservation of the recorded word for future generations. The Old Testament is authoritative for teaching, and it's an authoritative testimony about God. And there are some elements that were foreshadows or or precursors or, or predictions these elements were all accomplished in Jesus' ministry. And they're not necessarily considered normative practices for Christians. Thank you for not bringing in your ox today. I, I don't seem to have my pocket knife on me to deal with that. Right? I, that's, it's not a normative practice, nor is it even a normative practice today in modern Jewish synagogues. Right? That was a temple practice, and it was to show us that life had to be given for sin to be forgiven. It was a reminder of Christ who is to come from the Old Testament, who has come, and thank God he's coming again. If we look at Jesus' teachings throughout all of the Gospels, we see that he believed and knew that the Old Testament was true. Jesus treated individuals mentioned in the Old Testament narratives as historically real people. He never questioned that. There was never any well, was Adam really Adam or was Adam a a figure? No, Jesus knew Adam was Adam and he proclaimed him as such. There was no difference between Cain and Abel. Is that just a story? No, Jesus proclaimed them as true and he believed that. He treated these narratives as real narratives, as historically accurate, as real people. And he treated other accounts in scripture as factually true as well. Nowhere do we see Jesus in the Gospels, any of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, questioning the accuracy or questioning the historicity of the Old Testament. As Jesus quotes and preaches from the Old Testament, he believes that all Scripture is true, all of it. There's no textual criticism coming from Jesus. There's no academic study in in genres. He knows that Scripture is true, and he treats it as such. And I love that anytime we see that Jesus has an, has an issue with the scribes or Jesus has an issue with the Pharisees, what's he do? He takes them right back to Scripture. When Jesus was tempted out in the wilderness at the very beginning of his, of his ministry, 40 days, 40 nights, no food, how's he shut up Satan? Scripture. He takes him back to Scripture. Jesus may have challenged how people were interpreting Scripture. He may have challenged the interpretations of those rabbis. He may have challenged the interpretations of those Pharisees. He definitely challenged the interpretation of the Sadducees. But Jesus never wavered 
on the authority, and he never wavered on the truthfulness of Scripture. Jesus affirms the Scripture being perfect in every detail. And he continues, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Not only did Jesus affirm that the Scripture was true, Jesus believed the Scriptures are to be obeyed and to be taught. We have a completely true and a completely trustworthy Bible. And it should be treated as completely true and completely trustworthy. The Word of God should also be handled with care. Right? When the rabbis during Jesus' time made some distinction between light commands and, and weighty commands, and this is part of what Jesus is getting at here in verse 19. Right? Light commands are little things like, well, you know, we've harvested 42 cherry tomatoes, so I should give 4.2 cherry tomatoes at the temple today. That was a light command. Well, you could round that either up to five or down to four. It'll, you're, you're, you don't need to cut up your tomato into, into ten. These were light commands in the minds of the rabbis. The weighty commands were things like idolatry and murder and those sorts of things. Well, Jesus here is calling for a commitment to all the commandments. But he condemns those who conflate and confuse the two. Because that's what he was seeing in his time with the scribes and the Pharisees. They were conflating things a lot. And he says in Matthew 23, 23, as we'll, we'll get there sometime, I hope, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. And you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. See, Jesus is teaching here in verse 19 that, that even breaking a little commandment and teaching others to do likewise or to take it lightly has a serious consequence. Teaching that, that portions of God's word are no big deal is a big deal to God. Hear that again. Teaching that portions of God's word are no big deal is a big deal to God. This is why James, brother of Jesus, leader of the church in Jerusalem, says to us later, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Being obedient to God's word and, and teaching and guiding others to do the same is, is not a small matter. It is of the utmost importance in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Scripture is the guide for all Christian life. Right? Love for Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit are, are the power that, that keeps us moving in that Christian life. Jesus believed that the Scriptures are to be obeyed and He believed that they are to be taught. He says in John 14, 15, that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He says in John 5.10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, for I abide in His love. It is important for us to see that, that Jesus believed that these scriptures were not just true and authoritative and trustworthy, but they were to be taught and to lived out. He continues in, in, chapter, in verse 20 here, For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will enter into the kingdom of heaven. I'm sorry, I read that wrong. 
For I tell you, unless you, your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There we go. That's how it works. Now, when Jesus says this, what he says here would have been shocking. It would have, it would have been just, there would have probably been a lot of puzzled looks as he's looking out into the crowd. There may have even been some audible gasps. There might have been some murmurs. Did you, what? Did he, did he say what I think he said? There would have been these sorts of things going on. The scribes and Pharisees were admired and respected in Jesus' time. They were seen by the general public as righteous. Scribes specifically. The scribes were professional servants in the temple. They were highly trained in reading and writing of the scriptures. Their apprenticeship started training when they were young children. I want you to think, like when I say young children, they started at about kindergarten age, five or six. They did not consider their training completed as a scribe until they reached the age of 40. That's when you got your journeyman's card and get to go on. I don't know very many guys that, that would wait 34 years for their journeyman's card. But that's how the scribes worked. 30-some years of training to be considered a full scribe. They had special robes that only the scribes got. They got to wear certain things. that They, they were seated in the best spots at any of the parties or synagogues. They got the nicest seats in the synagogues. They, they were honored and they were respected among the people. The Pharisees were a little different. They were a sect, a group of believers, uh, uh, a denomination, if you would for lack of a better way of saying it. And they were mostly laymen, right? We know Paul had been a Pharisee. His, his main trade was to be a tent maker, working in canvas and threads, right? But these were, were laymen in the word who were meticulously dedicated to the observing of the law. In any free time they had, they would read pouring over the scriptures. They were going to the synagogues and opening the scrolls and trying to read them or having them read to them. And they emphasized things like tithing and ritual purity and, and Sabbath observations, because the Pharisees were a sect of ideologies and beliefs and not a profession, they were men from all sorts of different backgrounds. And sometimes that meant that the scribes were part of their group too. But both the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they had one thing kind of going right for them. They held the scriptures in really high regard. Both had a, a great common commitment to study and to be obedient to the law. The problem lied in with the scribes and the Pharisees that their commitment was really only skin deep. It was external rather than internal. They took all their rules, they took their regulations, they took their prohibitions, and then they kind of made a show of it on top of it. Rather than letting the Word of God settle into their hearts to be lived out humbly, meekly, as Jesus has already told us in the Beatitudes, they put a show on. See, the righteousness that you and I have, the, the, the real righteousness, not our self-righteousness, because that's not righteous at all, but the righteousness that you and I have comes from Christ and from Christ alone. I am not righteous without Jesus Christ in my life. And because that righteousness comes from Him who indwells me, it can't be skin deep. It, it is internal. And then it's spiritual. And, and when, it, when it's in there, it's seeking out the kingdom of God. And it does that from the heart. Jesus believed the scriptures focused on the heart and the spirit of the law. 
He teaches about a righteousness that, that's more external or, or more than just an external regulation. And it's more about an external showing. Jesus is calling us as his disciples to a different kind and a different quality of righteousness than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. See, the scribes and the Pharisees did all the, the quote-unquote right things. And to make sure that they did all the quote-unquote right things, they added some extra biblical rules to live by to make sure that they stayed in the right, doing the right things. They were living their life by bumper bowling. Right? We're going to try to get to the pins, and we're going to put up all the bumpers, and we're going to throw the light, we're going to do everything we can. And, and they tried to do all of that, and they took pride in that. And they sought out the admiration of their fellow Jews in doing that. See, that's a problem. Is that man, you and I, we can achieve an external appearance of righteousness on our own. We can look the part. We can play the game. The scribes and Pharisees still had impure hearts. And Jesus requires something more. He requires a kingdom-based righteousness, right? Something that's thinking about the kingdom of God. The righteousness works from the inside out. I have Jesus in me, and I can't do anything except live this out because of what he's doing in me. And it begins with that change of heart that comes from Jesus and comes only from Jesus. That changed heart produces now new motivations for me. I wasn't motivated to be a kingdom-minded person before Christ, but now that I have Christ... That's what I want to do. I want to see his kingdom grow. I want to see his kingdom succeed. I want to see his kingdom, period. Jesus requires a, a greater righteousness that, that permeates the whole person, head to toe. And it's tied to our personal relationship with God. And the neat thing is, is when Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The beautiful thing is, is that, that through Christ and Him making us new creatures, right, we have righteousness that comes from Him. And the righteousness that comes from Him exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. He gives it to us. We don't work toward it. Jesus believed that all Scripture points to Him. Jesus believed that the Scriptures are perfect in every detail. Jesus believes that the Scriptures are to be obeyed and to be taught. Jesus believed the Scriptures focus on the heart and the spirit of the law. And because of the lordship and authority of Jesus, the Scriptures proclaim Him, Jesus, as their central message. Our Scriptures are completely trustworthy. They're completely true. And they require obedience and a righteousness from the heart and the spirit that comes only from Christ. Today my question is, is what is keeping you from believing the Bible like Jesus believed the Bible? Have you asked God to remove those barriers from your life? Those barriers that keep you from believing in the Scripture the way you see Jesus believing in the Scripture? Are you pursuing an internal spiritual righteousness? Or are you pursuing an external legalistic righteousness? Have you asked God to build in you internal spiritual righteousness that comes only from Him? We're going to enter into our time of, of uh, invitation, call to action. And I want you to ask yourselves these, these questions. 
Am I pursuing internal spiritual righteousness? Am I asking God to build in me that internal spiritual righteousness that comes only from Him? God, are, are, am I asking you to, to remove the barriers that I may have to truly believing in you and your word? Would you go with me in prayer? Father, I thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word, and I thank you so much that you have illumined to us through Scripture how Jesus, Son of the Most High, Son of the Living God, believes about the Word. It's my prayer that as, that as followers of Christ, those of us who know you, that we seek to believe the Word the way Jesus believes the Word. Remove those barriers that may keep us from having that belief. Grow in us an, an internal spiritual righteousness create a desire in our hearts to pursue that and to pursue your kingdom. God, build in us an internal spiritual righteousness that comes only from you. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.